I think, you know, maybe there's an East Coast nexus that we can do in, I mean, nexus, Nashville, alliteration. I'm a fan. Robbie, what do you think? Can we make it happen? Oh, yeah. There's plenty of stuff to do. I think we could find some after hours activities to keep everybody interested in coming back to Nashville as it's well. It's not the stuff. Just find me some budget, buddy. Just find just a little <laughs> bit of budget. Where's the money? Tell me the money. <laughs> Welcome to Catalyst, the launch by NTT Data Podcast. Catalyst is an ongoing discussion for digital leaders dissatisfied with the status quo and yet optimistic about what's possible through smart technology and great people. And I'm joined by some great people today. First and foremost, I got Robert Elliott, Robbie, GM at Launch by NTT Data. Robbie, I know you're traveling. How's Smashville treating you? It's treating me well. It's a little hot, but it's it's a great city. I really love it. Yeah, I, I, I am ashamed. Uh, I'll, I'll ring the shame bell and, and, and take the walk. I've never been to Nashville yet. I've been to Knoxville and I've never yet been to Nashville. And that's got to change. I'm 45 years old and I live on the East Coast. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so I'll get down there, Robbie, but it's great to have you on. And we said great people. You and I are probably good people. We're good people, but we got a great person on with us as well today. We have our guest. We have Brant Beard of Paralon, which is an HCA healthcare company. Brant is the Assistant VP of Application Services, where he's led award-winning work that serves providers and clinical scientists alike. Brant is also an adjunct professor at Vanderbilt University, great baseball team in Nashville, where he focuses on leadership and culture to support innovation, which is exactly what he's done throughout his career. Welcome to Catalyst, Brant. We're pumped to have you today, man. I, I think you're also in Nashville. Is that correct? You guys are like a zip line away from each other? I am. I'm in Nashville. Uh, this is the greatest city in the world. I'm a little disappointed you've never been here. So I am too. Our next time we meet, you have to come to Nashville. Brent, it's really, really great to have you, mate. We love love diving right in so we don't waste people's time there. So what I loved about researching you is that most people's LinkedIn's are a little uh, boring, boring, right? They're a little bit boring, a little bit very, very buttoned up and not exactly, sometimes not the most helpful, not the most useful. It's kind of like exactly what you expect from a LinkedIn yeah. profile. And yet there's, there's you. And there was, there's helpful things, thoughtful things, inspiring things. And, and most folks on LinkedIn are almost kind of like advertisements for the stuff that they or their company are putting out. So yours struck me as different. Why? So you, you hit it, right? So most people are fake and that, they don't want to be fake because they're trying to be bad people, but they try to be somebody they're not. The thing about leaders is you have to connect with people and to connect with them, you have to be human. So if you talk about normal things and you do motivations with those normal things, you've caught them. And that's my goal is to, I'm human and here's what I learned. And it could be like, I walked out in the field and here's what I saw. I saw this car and here's what I saw. And that's what connects people and they want to know more about you. Yeah. Um, Robbie, I'm, I'm, I'm effortlessly taking notes here. Uh, we got Brant so far as human, which that, that we got it. We got that one captured. And Brant, I think there was one that, that caught my attention. You say got me. It was a post about your son, about yeah. his musical endeavors and, and just kind of your, uh, a little bit of a Conan O'Brien-esque of, of a self-deprecation about your musical yeah. talent and yet shining a light on what your son does. And that one kind of uh, was one of the ones that caught my attention. Uh, you know, what, what sparked that one for you? I think in life, everybody's trying to find their passion. Like what are their, what's their passion and purpose? And when you find someone that's found that, they shine bright. And for me, I don't know how to play music. Right. So I can try that and I can pretend like I'm that person, but that's not who I am. 
And the point of that is to find that passion and it stands bright and people want to connect with that person. So we got a Nashville guy who can't play music. Robbie, you're visiting Nashville. Can you play music or, ho- or hold a tune? What's, uh, what's your skills there? Absolutely not. I'm with Brand <laughs> no. on that. I have no musical capabilities. I mean, Robbie, tell the truth. We heard that you sing, so tell them about your band. <laughs> As they say in the South, I couldn't carry a tune in the bucket, right? So, um, <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. All right. So, Brent, you talk a lot about, really a lot about uh, leadership and yeah. culture. Again, it's not vapid, surface-level things. You tie them directly to how they relate to innovation and environments yeah. that produce what are great innovation ecosystems. Yeah. So can you lay out for me and Robbie how are they related and how are they also different leadership and culture? Yeah, it's funny. So uh, at Vanderbilt and, and, and Lipscomb University, I teach a leadership class. And it, the first part is all about what is a leader, which leads into how do you make an effective organization? But it really starts with leadership. And I love your podcast, like the catalyst, right? A ca- uh, there's a, some things that I do with my team and we call it a catalyst multiplier. So a catalyst is a person mm-hmm. or event that quickly causes change. And as a leader, how do you cause change? But it's not you. You're a catalyst that causes change for the whole organization, and then it takes it on its own. And that's the point of of leadership is to connect with people, create a sense of urgency. Like we can't stay where we're at, even if we're awesome, like how do we go to the next level? But you've got to create an environment where people want to change. But it, it starts with leadership, connecting with people, motivating them. What's the vision of the organization? Like when we get there, what will it feel like? And then how do I get them to stair step towards that? And that's been like my whole career is creating that leadership pipeline, people that create that. So it's not just me, but the organization wants to improve and get better. And I think that's where success happens, which you're constantly getting better. If we remain the same, we're actually going backwards. It reminds me of, of a conversation I had with, um, I worked for Topcoder for many, many years. It's a crowdsourcing platform and a community, great, oh. great community of people. It's actually a community first that has a technology platform and they distribute work uh, you know, through through like open talent mechanisms. Really cool place and they have a lot of love for, for their, their people. Um, and the founder was a gentleman named Jack Hughes and it happened to be a, a Connecticut founded uh, company and I was in Connecticut and reading books on it at the right time, right place oh. and voila, I end up at Topcoder. And he brings me into his office one day. His name's Jack. And he's like, he's like, where would you rather work right now? And this is like 2008. He's like, Apple or Sony? I was like, Apple, they're awesome. And he's like, I should fire you. He's like, because it, it, it's, oh, wait. He's like, you should go. He's like, the answer should be Sony because they can't get their poop in a group right now yeah. at that point for Sony. Yeah. He's like, go into there and go apply yourself and fix things. Now, he wasn't telling me to leave, leave that place, but he was just, I think, teaching a lesson of like, hey, where there's some tumult and where there is where there looks like surface level chaos, there's also tons of opportunity. Um, so how do you see that? Where, where do you go to find and go to select and go to kind of where do you look to the teams inside uh, HCA Parallel and, and how do you gauge where you're, you're going to be most useful? What, what kind of people and what kind of work attracts you? Yeah, I, I think you hit it, right? So you can run towards a good environment or a good situation, a good team. And you make it a little better, right? But if you if you see the opportunities where there is chaos, there is no leadership, there's no drive, there's no execution, that's like the, the place where leaders step up and, and grow. It, it, is it painful? 100%. Like when you do those things, you're always asking like, what did I just do? But it's there where leaders step up and create an environment that succeeds. And then then other people want you in the organization. Like you, you went to somewhere you didn't know. You made it better. It's not... 
when we say you, it's not you, right? You're creating the, right. the culture, the organization that gets better and it thrives when you lead. And that's the whole point. Of, you have leaderships, leaders that go in there and, and they do it all themselves. The problem with those situations is when they step away from that environment, it collapses. And so mm-hmm. great leaders go in, build the culture. And, I, and, and you ask the question, is culture and leadership separate? It, there's no separation. It has to be together. The leader, the leader creates the culture, but the, it's not a culture that's driven from the top down. It's the bottom up. You create the environment where everybody creates that culture and they hold it up and they want to live towards that. And that's what you want. And most of my career is finding those opportunities where nobody else wants to be involved in it. And you get that call after you take over and like, who did you make mad? Like, why are you doing that? Mm. Because that's where you have the biggest impact. And, and for me, it, in life is finding purpose. And if you're, my purpose is to make teams, like I could, if I could do any career, it would be U12 girls soccer. Like I'd be a coach of that all day long. I can't get paid for that. I'm not that right. great. But the coaching is what I do in my day-to-day job. Love it. It's really cool when you could apply things that you are passionate about and then find vehicles and and, uh, and vestibules, if you will, inside the inside the place that does pay you, uh, you know, uh, good money to to uh, yeah. and then use those same skills or transport them or or use near field near field skills as well, right? Yeah. And then Robbie, I want to ask you too. You know, you've been working with Brant for a while. Uh, and and there's a, a longstanding relationship there. How does that dynamic work when when Brent's talking about bottom up, you know, bottom up culture? So yes, there, there could be messaging and there can, and of course leadership, and then the culture comes from the bottom and then back. So everything in the middle is just really homogenous and and together. With your experience with Brant and then and say HCA and Parallon in general, how does that work? How does it how does an outside team come in and still serve? And challenge, right? It's, it's both things: serve and challenge uh, a team that, like Brandt, is leading. What are what are some of the, the the ways in which you make that effective? Yeah, I think uh, you know Brandt touched on it. You know, y- you meet leaders sometimes who are effective delegators. Um, that means they they assign tasks. You know, they get out of the way. They hand off things to their leadership. I, I think Brandt's approach and in, in the culture he's created within his team at Parallon is a culture of empowerment. Um, and that culture of empowerment allows partners like us to come in and feel empowered as well. We don't have a relationship where Brant's team comes in and tells us, hey, go do this and we go do it. They come in right. and they ask us, hey, you know, I've, I've got to figure out how to do this. Can you help us figure out how to do this together? Um, and we leverage each other's expertise and, and we push back. We, you know, we disagree on things. And I think that that culture of empowerment is key to a successful partnership. We talk about it all the time, how we function as an extension of Brant's team and Brant's team functions as an extension of our team um, because we know we, we coexist, right? Without Brant's team, we don't have any purpose within Parallon. Without our team, I think Brant would agree that, you know, there, there are some things that probably wouldn't go as well yep. with some of the hard work that, that he's doing there. So when you think about it from a leadership perspective, I think, you know, that that delegation versus empowerment kind of mm. kind of balance is like Brant is definitely much more on empowerment for his leadership. Like and his yeah. leaders are some of the best in the business, too, under his guidance. Hey, Robbie, I think you hit it right. It's it's partnership. A lot of vendor client relationships is a, is a vendor HCA relationship, and that's not what we're about. Like that's a short term thing. I'm not into short terms. I'm in a long term. How do we partner at the table? Nobody knows the difference. I make sure with any relationship we have, I'm like challenge us, because the problem when you work for a big co- company, you can dictate anything, and and the vendor relationship, they're like, okay, we'll do that, even though it's the wrong decision. 
And mm-hmm. so if you don't challenge us, then then I have an issue. Like if Robbie doesn't challenge me going down the wrong direction, we go down the wrong direction. I'll be like, Robbie, you know our relationship. Why did you not challenge me and let me do that? And so that's the, the relationship that we have. And Robbie's team is phenomenal. And you, you grow the leadership on both sides together. And we've done that. And so over the years, I think we're probably about the closest relationship that a, a vendor company that I've been with, um, because you've been in the trenches together and you've got out together. That's really cool. If I had to put a word on it, it sounds healthy. It's very healthy. That's the the embodiment of is that's how good relationships work. Period. Yeah. Right. That's that's if you, and we, we at launch we talk about being an honest challenger. It's one of our our five differentiators that we have, and we really try to infuse that. Not just train. Not just talk about it. And then when when it's time to to work day in day out, and I love that you pointed it out, Brand. It's like, hey, why didn't you speak up? Yeah. Right? Why didn't you say, dude, that's that's the wrong path. You don't you don't want to go there. Whether it's outdated technology or just simply a bad experience, or you you, you didn't overturn other rocks you should have overturned. Whatever it might be. Um, again, I would just encapsulate that with with healthy. So that's what healthy sounds yeah. like, and that's super cool. Now. And I think everybody kind of knows it when they feel it and they see it. We have relationships in our life in our lives that are those, and then we have others that are not those. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the signs of when an environment isn't that, when it's when it's not conducive, when it feels off. So, Brant, what are must-haves for you that are like non-negotiables when you're trying to build the right environment? Yeah. Let's start there with like building that base. What does healthy, what are the the paramount, you know, atomic pieces of building a healthy relationship look like, and then let's flip it and talk about what are things that that uh, when the environment is off, how yeah. do you know it's off? Yeah. So a lot of projects and things start, and we're executors, right? Most of us, we want to go straight and execute. Hey, we got something to deliver. Let's go execute. Execute. There are some key things you have to do up front. Like, what's the vision? Like, first, what's the mission of the organization? That's both organizations evolved or multiple organizations. Understand that mission then understanding the vision of the project and how do we all fit into that? If you can't explain that and connect people, they don't really know what they're doing. And it's hard to motivate that when you don't have that. So for me, like what's the vision? What's the impact we're doing? How do you individually fit into this and where we're going? Set that picture so people want to go on that journey. And when you're on that journey, you have to, I'm a big values person. And so you have to have values and everybody has to understand what the values is. For us, is ingenuity, confidence, courage, accountability. That's like the IT values. But for my organization, it's purpose, passion, um, and and perseverance. Like whatever we're going to happen, we're going to get through it. But what's our purpose with that? When you set those values, you have people rewarding those values, not like the leaders rewarding. That's great. We do that. But from within, people are like, hey, you're living perseverance. Here's what you did. Then no matter what comes after the project, you're going to be successful. But the key to all this thing is I want the best team, but it's like anything. Like if I put the best athletes on a team and I don't set the values and tone of where we're going, we won't be successful because it's everybody over the team. I want the ball. I want to take the shots. I don't care. For any great organization, you have to make sure you set the tone, what's the value and what we're trying to do. And it's, it's team over self. And you talk about an environment where you know it's not going well is when everybody starts pointing the finger at somebody else. It's not my fault. I couldn't do this. I hit a roadblock. I don't know what to do. And you start to see one quality step up and it's the self over team. And that's the area you have to continue to bring everybody. It's like Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctional team. You always have to go back to trust and build back up a team, but you're going up and down that pyramid. And that's the first sign that something is not right. I love it. And what, so how often 
do you intentionally repeat the things you talked about the to create the environment there was person there was the three that you had in your particular yep. organization how often does your team hear that how often does robbie's team hear that from you when, when y'all are working together our thematic goal for organizations thrive with passion perseverance purpose as a leader you market it all the time anytime i'm in public talking i'm going back to that if you're not talking about it it doesn't exist right and then they're not talking about it so you have to constantly communicate 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 there's a principle, and I don't know where I got it. It's called the ACT principle. Affinity, communication, and trust, right? As leaders, the only thing we can touch is communication. If I communicate more, you trust me more, you feel better, and I communicate more because now we have a relationship, we're spinning in the right direction. If I'm not communicating, you're probably not trusting me, you're probably not feeling good. I'm a little nervous, I'm not communicating. We're going the wrong direction. So it really comes back to communication. Yeah, and and it's, again, one of those things you, you could start to feel, and you feel Again, you know when it's off, right? You know, you know when you don't have it. Yeah. Sometimes you could, you could almost sometimes, sometimes if you're not thinking about it and actively, intentionally um, setting it up for for success and recognition, you could almost take it for granted. Sometimes, yeah. If you're kind of not careful, but you certainly know when it's not there, and and very often if if you're there, it's a little late. Well, you got, you got a lot to do. of leaders do the upfront thing, and then they see something going wrong, and they ignore it. Or right. Just get better. Right. And it won't, and it makes the conversation harder. And then they really want to ignore it because they don't want to have a crucial conversation. Right. Tough, tough conversations. We talked about that. And then Robbie, you know, your relationship with, with Parallon and Brandt, how often do, do you get the, the three P's in the conversation? And then how do you, how do you take it at what is an outside team, uh, you know, and, and make sure that they are um, also, I would say, honoring their code in that way? How, how does that process work? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, how... Grant and my relationship started was actually, you know, we're in a people business. We have challenges. Things aren't perfect. And what I started doing was after meetings where I felt like things didn't go well, I would call Brant. I would just call him. Nice. I'd say, hey, can we jump on the phone? And I would have a conversation with him. And like he said, it, it wasn't like a blame game. Like we should do this. He wasn't falling on the sword. He was like, here's the challenge we have before us. Like that perseverance, like, you know, you, you got to come to the conclusion about the path forward. We're not going to worry about the past. Let's fix this. What are we going to do to fix this? Very proactive. And so I think he embodied those values for us. Like, and, and that's what just improved and, and, and grew our partnership over the years. Um, so I see that when we go into conversations about some challenge, either a new project, a new engagement, or a challenge within an existing project is like, what's our purpose? Why are we here? What's the outcome we're trying to achieve, right? At launch, we're all about outcomes. Um, and and Brant and his team with their culture are there to define their purpose in terms of outcome for the patients within HCA, right? And their yeah. partners. So we really just rally around all of those values. And Brant and I spend a lot of time on the phone or texting or something like that. But none of it is like, you go do this. Well, I don't have time to chat. Uh, you just fix it. You know, kind of, I've never had that conversation with Brant or any leader in his team. It's like, where are we at? What are we doing? Who's assigned to it? How do we help? Do you do this? Do I do this? Like very collaborative, very rally around that purpose um, and persevering. So I, I think we all have a passion. I think it's easy to rally around the passion around what HCA is doing, you know, caring for their patients, um, improving people's lives. Like that's an easy for me easy purpose to rally around. I think the things that I see the most out of Brandt's team um, are the other two P's. And Robbie, you hit it. Like, so if you're going to improve human lives, 
you have to innovate, you have to challenge yourself. And so every project we do, we're pushing the bar, which is a little uncomfortable on the first project because you're like, I, I don't know if we can do that. So it's constantly pushing the bar because we want to deliver the product to make an impact on human lives. Patients, physicians, communities, whatever we're trying to do, we need to do it fast. Yeah, that's it's a really nice back and forth there. I had a a leader I worked with in, in a previous role and he he would use the term, hey, that was crunchy. <laughs> Another foundational thing is absolutely, I I believe, the people, the team, yeah. the makeup, who's in the room, who's who's collaborated, whether that's a physical room yeah. and of course today well beyond physical physical boundaries. Um, Brant, what kind of composition yeah. do you typically want in a room when you're looking to create this environment? So I'm looking for, are there different types of skills, different types of personalities yeah. that regardless of the project type, you want, you want to kind of have a certain slice of life in there with you? Or is it really project dependent? So I like a diversified group. Uh, it, it, it is project dependent, depending on what, what project is and what kind of resources I need. Obviously, you like people that have been in the trenches with you in the past, right? Because they know what the team is. They can get through. the Any team that comes together, you're going to go the storming, norming, forming. That's going to happen, right? And so yeah, the faster we go through that and trust each other, the better the organization is. And so I, will want, I want the best players I can get. It doesn't mean they're the, the best on a resume, right? That's That's great. To me, is how do they fit in the team? Do they know that what they're doing uh, in their role in that team? And, and you know, a lot of teams have a, have a hard time putting a name to a task. Like, there's like three people doing it. We'll just put all three names down, right? Right. They have to yeah. quickly get to one name. I always call it one belly button. It's like so we know who to talk to. It's not about a blame thing. It's like we know who who's going to get it through, and they're going to and they have all the resources they can to get it through. And so I think that's more important than specific people on a project but you have the people in the trenches that you've gone through before and you want them with, with uh, launch. There's some key people on launch team. That's been with me for three plus years. Um, and having them as a comfort zone for me. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. And and one one of the things that we certainly preach and another differentiator, which you were saying earlier, like, hey, if you're not if you're not talking about it, then then it, then it don't exist. Um, for us, it's the idea of continuous teams. The idea that. From Jump Street with with a relationship with a new client or an existing client, a new project, having the right mix at the onset so that you could get the different perspectives. And it's not just for the sake of the sake of different perspectives. Yeah. It's for the sake of expertise and specialty and understanding of what are we trying to do and and are there actual guardrails we have got to put in place because we need to foundationally understand. What is actually possible here versus what is just pure unicorns? And are we doing are we doing a pure unicorn greenfield? Who cares if it ever sticks? We just want to get some sizzle. Probably not. I mean, most likely not. Sometimes you do, um, but often you need that friction, that good friction, uh, to to curb each other. And that comes with uh, with a diverse team with skill sets yeah. and, and and points of view on how you get. Like it's great. Like you said, we need vision. We need to know that's the mountain. And that's where we're going. Cool. We know we know where we're going. We're going to the moon by the end of by the end of the decade. Cool, right? Probably the biggest best vision statement ever painted. Didn't tell us how. Yeah. It wasn't like it, JFK didn't sit there and be like, okay, we're get, this is exactly the mission. No, no. It's just we're going to get there. We're going to land. We're going to make it happen. Yeah. So the path wasn't figured out yet. And of course, they put the right people together to to make yeah. it happen. But you got to get buy-in. Like, so we're going to get to the yeah. moon by the end of the decade. I don't think we are. Well, let's sit in a room. Do you agree we can do that? Yes, yes, yes. Everybody says yes. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Yeah. So speaking of space and science, I love astrophysics. It's one of my 
hobbies. Uh, there's a great podcast called uh, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe. If anybody out there just, it's really cool because you have a CERN astrophysicist who like operates and works on the, the the large hadron collider and then there's a cartoonist who's an engineer so he's he's a you know a smart dude in his own right um and his whole purpose is to simplify what the scientist is saying and it's really really interesting and uh so anyway just a little aside that if, if folks who who want to just learn a bit more about about that area but they talk a lot about the two worlds of theoretical phys- physicists and physics and then experimental physicists and they have debates on which one's more important et cetera et cetera and my takeaway is you kind of need both yeah. you need to have the people that can theorize and say I think this is possible and you need the people to get into the lab and get into the hood and say well, I'm going to try and prove it or or very often in science, disprove it. <laughs> they, they want to say, no, no, no. I don't think we can get to the moon, right? Um, and, and of course, in that case, we did. In in your role, how about the experimental side of what we're talking about today, Brent, and applying the lessons at like a project or program level? Can you walk us through examples where you're taking the vision setting, you're taking the theory, and then you're applying it experimentally uh, with with success? I think uh, a lot of the projects that we do at, at Parallel and HCA are ones that nobody else has done, right? We always go out to the market, like, is there anybody that's done this thing? And, it, and a lot of the big things that we do, we don't, we're, our size and our amount of hospitals and what we're trying to accomplish is, is unique. And everybody thinks they're unique, but we are unique in this space. Um, and so we've had lots of projects, and one Robbie's on right now, um, Clinical Data Registry and Abstraction, which we call ROSIE, is mm-hmm. one that we have where there's nothing in the market, we dream big. You have to dream big, which, you know, you've got the dreamers and you got the ones that are doers. Your doers, like, there's no way, right? And your dreamers, yeah, we can. Here's what we can do. At some point, they come together and that makes the perfect project where we're still pushing ourselves, dreaming big. But you're like, it's like, so you're saying there's an opportunity. Yes, there's an opportunity <laughs> and we can do this, right? And then as you get wins and there's going to be challenges, gonna be, you're going to miss dates because it's harder than you thought. But you're constantly renegotiation. You kind of change the scope a little bit, but you're still going bigger than what the doers originally said you could do. And that's key for us. And that's what Paralon has been successful for the many years that we've been here is pushing the limits to get the ROI and the impact that we're trying to get. Yeah. And on the Rosie project specifically, I know that one uh, fairly well myself, that that was the one that was nominated and then won one of our uh, one of our Launch Innovation Awards at, at our Nexus event. We mentioned Nexus earlier, so that was a little foreshadowing. We were mentally teasing you there, folks, roping you in with the term Nexus. Like, you're curious, what's Nexus? What's Nexus? And we bring you back here, right? And that was a really cool project. And, and we were so happy to honor you and have, have you out in, uh, in Napa and have the team out there to celebrate that as well. And the... Robbie, I think Brant is really doing uh, a great job for us in terms of what, what I mean by that is serving up the terms to like we talk about pragmatic visionaries. Like that's again another one of our core differentiators is we want to help you be a visionary. And like you said, I think Brant really nicely, you gotta have the doers in the room. You gotta understand what what is actually possible. And but you but still, even within that dynamic, you gotta challenge each other. You've got to push each other. So, Robbie, how do you get the team to go in with that mentality of like, hey, Brant's, Brant's going to want to do, he's going to want to land this thing on the moon. And we, we got to, and yes, we're going to get there. And we got to show them 
the best way and how to, given all, I'm sure, tons of business constraints, things that just technologically exist that you have to get around. How do you strike that balance? What's the what's the conversations like? Yeah, I think you know we've talked about it along the way and along with the NASA analogies and and how cool everything is that NASA does. You know, I think back to the space shuttle Columbia disaster yeah. and sort of the management you know theories that came out of that group think right um where you know people were just listening to the smartest person or the most experienced person in the room and when i think about how we engage on some of this you know courageous work that we're doing alongside Brant's team is that you know he touched on it. two things are empowerment and diverse opinions um we have team members in ohio in nevada and california <laughs> Um, in, in various states in the Southeast, as well as Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, working on the engagements that Brant and his team are undertaking. Um, and we try to, on our side, come to the table with that same empowerment and, and saying, hey, look, this may not be the right approach. We've got to challenge it. Um, we've got to revisit this. How, how do we courageously, with Brant's support and his team's support, go to our partners and say, like, look, we've got to rethink this. Um, we didn't have it right out of the gate. I think everybody agrees when you when you innovate, you have to be able to ball some stuff up, throw it in the trash can and start over. Um, and I think we've done that multiple times. So I always, you know, empower our teams to be fearless when it comes to uh, these engagements, um, to bring their opinions, bring their whole self to it and say, hey, if you if you don't feel, if you don't feel 100 percent comfortable, if y- you have some sort of feeling internally, express it. And, and we have a culture of collaboration, a culture of openness um, that allows us to do that. I mean, there's a lot of times where our team and Brant's team are like locked in a meeting or on Zoom calls for hours on end trying to figure things out and brainstorming things and and spitballing ideas. And, you know, again, that culture of empowerment and and that diverse opinions, um, diverse perspectives um, really comes into play there. Absolutely. hundred percent. Let's take it a step further. When you've got a vision set on a project or a product you want to you want to go at and you've got the right team you believe you have the right team tactically what are some of the things you start to do with that team or what's in fact what's the first thing you do with a team like that to get them to take it and then really get that experiment off off the docks if you will are there certain go-to things that you could share yeah i think it's, it's again it's execution and making sure you have the right pms uh scrum masters involved that are driving things forward and we understand the work that's happening who's doing it and where are we at successful do you hit a roadblock what we can get through that and so you have the right amount of meetings at the right moment at the right length with the right people which is a lot of right things (laughs) we've all been in meetings like we just spent an hour and i have no idea what we accomplished when you have a culture like that everything just goes off the rails and so you have to make sure it's running it's like a dance, right? Like when you watch dancers in a play or something and how they move, projects are the same way. And you'll know when the dance is off and you know when the dance is going good. But it's out of the gate, making sure that's set and you're doing it. Yeah, and it, to me that that screams very strong, just PMs with great communication skill who understand how to prep and then execute. Yeah. Uh, ec- and it might seem run of the mill. It might seem day to day. However, it, and it is in many ways day to day. However, like you said, if it's off, it has such a negative impact on every single person on that call. And then also it bleeds out 
because then someone goes to Slack and says, oh my gosh, you spent 45 minutes of nothing. It just, it's, it permeates in a really negative way. And we yep. talked about that cycle you, you were hinting at earlier and it really can reverse things in, in a way that you, you just don't want, right? And then what about things like design-led versus technical MVPs? Is, it, is that more, hey, it's project dependent or is there a philosophy that you'd rather lead out with a design-led piece or like, no, no, let's get, let's get a functioning piece of software first and foremost, or is there a hybrid? Uh, so I am all about all the MVPs, but I think you have the right designs up front to get to an MVP. Again, if you don't design it properly, the MVP won't be successful. Yeah. Uh, and that's the problem with a lot of technology projects is you got the technical people leading where they're great at this, but not at that. And they're going to design something that doesn't work well. And it's not thinking about the end user. So you can't skip that process of the design and have the right UI, UX people involved. Yeah, that makes, I mean, to me, that that's certainly makes sense to me as well. And and I guess from your perspective, Robbie, do you have to convince certain people, not just that, not just that parallel, but when you're dealing, when you're talking with clients, do you sometimes have to convince them like, no, 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 we should spend time on the UI, UX, the user research, the, the early stage prototyping and testing with like high fidelity, even low fidelity design. Do you still feel like you have to do convincing of that? And that some folks don't see the value quite yet, or has kind of the world of technology caught up with that philosophy? I mean, I think in general, there, there. I mean, in the market, a lot of folks have not caught up to it. I, I, I think you know, at launch, you know, our our propensity to to get working software in people's hands as fast as possible, um, and and having design led engagements, like you know, Brant said. That's served us well within Brandt's team. I think for the CDRA project, the Rosie project, like Brandt said, we went from like a 75 slide PowerPoint presentation to a POC within two months. Um, and that was the big momentum shift. It was like eyes started opening, people started engaging and rolling up their sleeves. And that's where, you know, the business leadership at HCA really started digging in and, and providing feedback. So when we talk about, you know, not to oversell the catalyst for the real innovation around the Rosie project was working software and, and having design leadership involved in the beginning that that POC, that MVP of that solution drove the right conversations. Um, because it's easy to speculate over something that doesn't exist. It's easy to right. get into a circular conversation about what this thing should be until it exists. Once it exists, then the people who really have the vision um, for what the solution would be roll up their sleeves and start, well, it'd be better if this happened. It'd be better. What about sure. this? Can we do that? Like, then you get meaningful feedback. All of the banter and the circular conversations kind of fade away. And that's what we really try to do. And with Brant's leadership and the culture that he's created, our team can fearlessly go into that. We can say, attend all of these meetings, talk about all of these details and the strategy behind this and all that, and, and glean from that the right insights and in the right way, go work on something and put working software in people's hands to then drive it even more forward and, and capitalize on that momentum. Um, and that's the relationship we have. But yeah, I think broader market perspective is not a lot of people really trust that working software can do that. Yeah, um, but we've done that with every engagement with Brant and his team, which which is which is a testament to uh, again back to leadership and culture. And then Brant, what I'm what Robbie was detailing that what came up for me is like my my shoulders start going up in a positive way of like ooh because I know that feeling. I know when you get to an MVP and you have that that holy you know what moment like oh 
this is possible. Yeah. And it's and it's not just, okay, we're going to go to the moon and we, we have this vision. And then you have your discussions and you go, yeah, yeah, we think we can do it. We think we can do it. We think we can do it. Aggressive timeline, but we think we can do it. And then you get that, that first piece. And especially if it is designed, right? If it does have a, we're not saying it's a finished polish, of course, yeah. but if it has- if it has the right look, if it has the right feel, if it has the right care is the way I'd put it in there, that they have already pre-thought about the user and it's applied through the technology. Um, how do you use that back to culture? How do you use that as a mechanism for further acceleration? Like, I mean, literally, how do you take it around and parade it? And, and who do you bring that to? Yeah, it, so it's a, when we say partnership, it's a partnership with everybody. So for us, it's the business partnership. They're the ones financing it. They're the ones selling it. We're there with them. And sure. you get to like MVP and you can touch it, feel it, you can start seeing it, then it's real. The thing is, when you start now communicating that and bring it to the higher executives, they love it. How do you do it faster now? Yeah. I want it now more, more, more. So you have to balance that out because that's where it's going to go, right? So you got to balance the getting the more and uh, what's the ROI. But that is the success. If you can't give an MVP, then it's like the trust with you is kind of going away. And if we're going to invest this kind of money, is there somewhere else we can invest in the company? It's a better ROI for the company. So you have to hit some of these things. If you try to go beyond MVP before MVP, it it probably won't last the next year's budgeting process. Which is, I think, fascinating too, because back to the idea of pragmatic visionary, and it's not, and it's, it's not to put it in a box. It is to say though, that there is a effective way to do it. Yes. There is an effective way to stage these things, and they're not without intent. They're not without aim. They're very, very much purposeful because they give you the right momentum that we believe, HCA, Parallon, just our clients in general, or not, not our clients, people who might listen to this that aren't, are not clients yet, never will be, doesn't really matter. It's, it's just about the, the right thing at the right time. You said earlier, right meaning, right duration, right time, right outcome. You know, right MVP at the right time to really give you that acceleration, and then yet have the smarts to make sure you're curbing up the the level going up to say, okay, yes, we're glad you love it, and we're glad you're going to fund it. Um, it's not ready to go to the moon yet. Yeah, yeah, here's here's the real timeline, and no, no, you can't demo it next week at our big thing, right? Because yeah. um, that's always we're going to demo it. We're going to demo it, like. Uh, not quite yet, um, but that that's always a fun, but that's a good, that's a great place yeah, to be. A that's great like, problem to have. I mean, yeah, you're Vanderbilt, right? That's that's a pitching warehouse, too much pitching in baseball, right? Really, really good problem to have. Brent, um, we mentioned LinkedIn earlier. I'd love for folks to to make sure that they are connecting with you. I, I find you to be an open collaborator and I, and I bet you'd be, be, we'd welcome folks who are listeners to, to hit you up and ask questions and just connect, connect yeah. as a human, as you said. So it's Brent, B-R-A-N-T, Beard, B-E-A-R-D, best way to find just go search on LinkedIn. Is that is that it? Or is there a Twitter? Or is there some yeah, other place where you have it? Search on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll talk to everybody. So to reach out, ask to talk to me. I love to talk to you. My job is to make people better in this world. And so if I can help in any way, I'm always available. Yeah. And Brent, you you, you mentioned your job and, and we just got on before. We talked a few minutes before we recorded that now you're taking on a dual role. So I think it'd be kind of nice to, uh, yeah. you know, we went through all this culture innovation things and, you know, yeah, VP of application services, I think I think from the top of the sheet, it's something like that. It's, it's close enough to the pin. But now you have this dual role that really is uh, about the things we just spent, you know, 45, 50 minutes chatting about. Yeah. What's what's the the title of that role and and when did you start? Yeah, so so I'm AVP of uh, workforce talent development now. And so I'm transitioning to that role. And it's kind of like everything we talked about, but not just doing it for my department, doing it for all of ITG at HCA, which is about 6,000 employees. 
So you think from connecting with universities to onboarding, to technical training, to leadership training, to retirement, and how can we utilize you after you leave the company? And so it's everything there. And I think about you look at your day and what you're really good at and what you're excellent at. And I took what I'm excellent at. It's now my full-time job. Love it. That, hey, what a, what a great place to land all that. Uh, we, we talked about finding the passion, right? And then finding ways to magnify that in your professional in your professional world, right? So that so that you can do more U12 coaching. So that, Robbie, you can get out with your, with your son and, and coach more U7. So I want to give a, a huge thanks, Robbie. A, foremost, thank you for coming on and co-hosting with me today. Enjoy Nashville. I know it's hot. Stay cool down there, brother. Have fun. Hopefully you get to see Brant later today. And of course, a huge thanks to Brant Beer for joining us on Catalyst. I can say with full sincerity, go find him on LinkedIn. You'll be glad you did. Brant, we appreciate you sharing your head and your heart with us today because in this studio, we believe in shipping software over slideware that fast will follow smooth and aiming to create digital experiences that move millions is a very worthy pursuit. Join us next time as that pursuit continues on Catalyst, the launch by NTD Data Podcast. Thank you.